Welcome to the Master Slave Lifestyle Podcast. Here we'll interview real people living the real Master Slave lifestyle, all consensual and all in different ways. And in this episode... It felt so powerful sometimes that I thought, if you give in to this, you will just be taken further and further in, and then what's going to happen? Your life's going to implode. Presumably, that was happening with me. So that connection between the eyes, I thought, this is what it is. This is the most intense intimacy two human beings can experience. You know, their raw selves are open to each other. Break the door open, a lot of energy is going to just start flowing. This is MasterSlaveLifestyle.com. Hello, everyone. So for this episode, I'd like to introduce a newly owned slave, someone who for years avoided his identity as a slave. Last year, he reached out to me and we started to talk. And since then, he's found his master. Over this episode, we're going to find out more about him, how he decided to start his journey to his authentic slave self and his journey to find a master. Slave Charles, welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to talk with you. It's been quite a trip. Thank you. So briefly, tell us how you would talk about yourself now. Who are you? All right. So first of all, I'm a human being. <laughs> that is important because, you know, all of us have these identities within the master-slave community and we live in the world, right? But let me talk about my identity within the community. I am a happily owned slave. I'm 66 years old. Not the common story, not the common starting point. And I have come in a very short period of time by all those who have been witness to understand what I want, how I want to live this part of my life, how central this part of my identity really is to me, and what I hope to get out of it. Thank you. Sure. Central to the identity is a very big deal because I had pushed this part of myself to the periphery, helped to hold it down, <laughs> put my finger in the dike. Well, let's go into a bit of that now. So when did you actually realize that this was something that was a calling for you? How far do we go back? Well, if it's in terms of activities, we can go way back, you know, into my early 20s when I first started having regular sex with men. I mean, I started when I was in my teens. It was much more fumbling and experimental, but there was always this attraction to rough stuff, which I noticed and would episodically participate in, in the big sex clubs of New York in that time, places famous like the Mineshaft and so on. And I've known about it for a while. I didn't really begin to connect dots until about 2012 when I found someone who called himself an erratic mentor. And I said, I want you to take me on a structured BDSM journey. And I want it to be structured because I'm afraid of going off the deep end if I start to go into this dark material in myself. And one of the things he said, which has stayed with me, always, even though it took a long time to fully actualize it, was when we step into ritual space, things can happen that even replicate painful things in our life. But because of the safety and the elevated nature of ritual space, 
it's totally transformed. So that was big news to me because I thought I was headed for like a rabbit's hole of like a deepening groove of unpleasant stuff. Okay, thank you. And can I just ask you to put your chain beneath your shirt? There's some sort of noise. I think it's your chain okay. that's doing it. All right. Thank you. Okay, so let's go a bit deeper into some of those things you just said. So you said you were aware of the rough stuff. So how did you first come across that? In porn. And what it would be would be, you know, it would show in movie houses, like porn movie houses. That's how it was shown. So I would go and I would see power dynamics and just rough manhandling and it really turned me on. I've never, ever been turned on by the kissy-kissy, lovey-lovey, reciprocal, mutuality, soft-focus, sentimental stuff, ever. Just does nothing for me. I'm talking about between men, right? And then when I would have my anonymous encounters in the various places we had them at that time, <laughs> that's what I would look for. I did not want to have mutuality. I wanted someone to use me. That's what I wanted. And use me hard. Sometimes I got scared, but I mostly came back to it, you know, and my tastes really never changed. They were always the same. So going going back to that fear, you mentioned, for instance, that you've always wanted a sort of structured approach because you were afraid of going into the deep end. So what does going into the deep end mean for you okay so i identify as a submissive and i have a very powerful personality that manifests in the world as anything but submissive to me submissive was reminiscent of frankly you know being bullied and being a doormat and, you know, all the things that are said to a, a young gay boy, I thought I needed to be a tough guy in response to all of that and transcend all of that, right? So the deep end meant reenacting exactly that stuff, letting someone discharge their aggression on me. And it felt so powerful sometimes that I thought, if you give in to this, you will just be taken further and further in. And then what's going to happen? Your life's going to implode, you know, because this is like putting your finger in the electric socket. This is so powerful. You're going to fry. And what would be that impact of being fried? <laughs> um, as I saw it then, gradually withdrawing from society, becoming a freak and becoming and consenting to progressive stages of disempowerment. That would be one way of describing it. When you talk about disempowerment in this sense, it's like giving up too much power for what you were happy to give up. Correct. Yeah, because I didn't understand things at that time. Now I'm very happy to give up power. <laughs> Please. <laughs> you know. It's really interesting that you talk about this deep ends, like depending on when this episode is broadcast, and it will have just started or they will be there. But I'm starting to do a new set of podcast episodes that talk about, let's say, the good and the bad or the light and then the dark of Master Slave. Yes. 
And it really sounds like you were feeling that pull and you were frightened it was a pull to in the dark side at the time. That is correct. And I did not have the tools or the vocabulary to understand that there could be anything positive about that. Mm. So it terrified me. So I felt like I'm on the edge of the ocean whirlpool and I need to stay on that edge. So the way I did it was, you know, running away. I would have these episodes. I certainly knew what was happening when they were happening. I didn't understand the broader context. And then I would pull back very sharply. I mean, that, that can't be a unique story in our world. Definitely not. I think a lot of people would resonate with that. Yeah. Although it was reasonably quick for me, I do remember between the ages, I think it was 18 to 20, having that sort of circle, really wanting to give in. And then, no, really wanting to give in. No, this is bad. And then I think when I got to Trent, it was like, fuck it. <laughs> I'm moving into the pool for my age now. That was very strange for someone. I think it's much more common for younger people to do it. Leap in, you're saying. Yeah, but I don't know many people who were doing it at my age when I was like 19, 20. Wow. I've thought about this in terms of there are certain things that as gay men we go through. There's gay shame. All right. I mean, let's not pretend it doesn't exist. There's bottom shame. All right. Because of heteronormative ideals, there's something lesser about being the bottom. And then there's submissive shame. So there are these degrees of you have to pass through these filters and they happen when they happen. <laughs> so we have this sort of cycle that you're having this experience, you're on the edge of and the whirlpool, and you're finding it very evocative, it's calling you. But then when you take a step back, was there anything else that was sort of stopping you over this and period of time from wanting to go further? Well, I mean, I took some very different kinds of detours. I walked away from my gay life in my mid-20s and tried to become a heterosexual man and live in the suburbs with white picket fences and have a family and all of that. So there was no room for this in that life. And I have said this, the reason I'm alive today as a member of the age cohort with the highest HIV mortality rate is because I didn't have sex with men for 26 years. That is a long period of abstinence. Wow. <laughs> you know? So I didn't do it because of AIDS. I did it because I thought it was necessary to forge this new identity of mine. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. Like you were mentioning about this sort of different shames we have. So do you think this was a way to try and escape that shame? Probably. You know, we're talking about the light and the dark. And part of the dark was a lot of, for me, hurt and anger about what it meant to be a man. And that masculinity was devalued, that being male was devalued. So I was on this super compensatory track to leave all that behind, right? I don't know if that makes sense to you. So when you mean becoming a slave or submissive, you were going to sort of leave those sort of male things that... Hello? Yes, exactly. What aspect of the male paradigm comports with slave, you know, as I saw it at that time, mm -hmm. right? 
I see no contradiction now, but at that time, I saw every sort of contradiction. Something that would resonate with a lot of people as well. I have that with people that get in touch with me through Master Slave Lifestyle often. Can I be a leader and also be a submissive? How can these things mix together? Okay, so I went to a power exchange workshop in New York in December. And they separated us into the doms and the subs. And there was a fair amount of talking. And we were asked to talk about ourselves a bit. And one woman who very evolved shared that, you know, look, I'm the person that everybody turns to all the time to solve all the problems. And I can say, Phil, that I'm the person everybody turns to all the time to solve problems. And I've been trained since birth to be that person. It is exhausting and depleting. You know, I want an area of my life where somebody else makes the decisions. And even before I got into the more transcendent dimensions of slavery, I got that in my head. You know, please, somebody lift this from me. Yes. And being a submissive and a slave was a way you could let go of that, even if it was for a temporary moment of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's an enormous amount of very powerful human energies that are circulating through all of this, right? Through these exchanges, through these dynamics. You know, you are touching the stars. And so it's very powerful stuff. I mean, let's unpack that a bit because you said some really interesting things like ritual space. You know, on the edge of the royal pool, the light and then the dark, uh-huh. you know, and touching the stars. There is this very deep energy that we can touch when we go into these spaces, either master or slave. Yes, there is. So I will make it very tangible by talking about an experience I had at Delta. Yes. So I was at one of the big hardcore leather events, and I had a play session with someone who was not very impressive on the face of it. But what emerged primarily through the eyes was an entirely different human being who was always there, is always there, is only allowed to come out and emerge under very particularly safe agreed upon conditions. I helped make that happen with him. And presumably, that was happening with me. So that connection between the eyes, I thought this is what it is. This is the most intense intimacy two human beings can experience. You know, their raw selves are open to each other. It's like we can expose more vulnerable part of ourselves and these parts can be primal. They can be submissive, they can be dominant, but suddenly they come out and it's like these archetypal energies are starting to connect with each other in a way that they can't normally. Correct. So let's use the common metaphor of splitting the atom. Enormous energy is released. Now the question is, can it be harnessed for good or will it cause you know, destruction? When I talk about being on the edge of the whirlpool, probably I sensed You know, we're talking about atom splitting possibilities, but I don't want to be incinerated. You know, (laughs) so 
I think this would resonate with a lot of people. Um, I had an experience a couple of weekends ago where I was having a shamanic psilocybin experience. Mm. One of the intentions I took into that was to experience what I had in my head as nihilism. I never say this word correctly, so I apologize to anyone who kind of annoyed at the way I've just said it. But I wanted to really experience what was on the other side, because even as a slave, I've had this fear of completely dissolving myself to someone else. And in fact, I put a lot of boundaries there. And yet for this experience, I was able to really go to the other side and experience that in a safe way. I could, as you put it, split the atom yes, and experience it, but then come back. Yes, it's incredibly powerful stuff. And I'll say that I believe it's transformative. I mean, we don't just get to experience and go back and be the same person we were. We are changed because of those experiences. I had a coach who shared an unusual story with me. He said, look, I was a licensed therapist and I gave up my license because I am interested in deep transformative work with people who are interested in deep transformation. I don't want to sit weekly and have conversations with the same person for 20 years. And they say, I've changed. Well, yeah, you're 20 years older. That's how you've changed. So he was a hands-on practitioner of total power exchange as a transformative tool. And I'm here, I think I've hinted at this before, but I'm here to be changed. Interesting. This is something that came up in the um, Master Slave Support Group. Um, that's on Master Slave Lifestyle. And we were talking about the idea of a dungeon or a play space. And is it necessary or not? You know, and what was really interesting as we were exploring some of this is sometimes it can be a bad thing as it means you come out of the mindset, whereas you want to be in the mindset all of the time. But on the other thing is it can be this sacred space where you can do this deep transformation that you're talking about. Absolutely. So you can have an experience that you come out to the other side and when you leave that space, you are slightly different from what you were before. I think you said it beautifully. I have sometimes talked very excitedly when I'm about to go to a big event, lifestyle event. I said, I'm going through the wormhole. I'm about to go through the wormhole. I don't know who I'm going to be on the other side, but I am going to be different in some way. And, you know, what does the wormhole in all of our sci-fi TV series represent? A place where there's this compressed time and space and you move incredibly rapidly to other places that you couldn't under normal circumstances. That is what these powerful and, yes, sacred moments are about. And I've always been attracted to the juncture of the spiritual and the erotic because there's everything there. It brings a lot of the different energies in, doesn't it? It certainly does. For anyone who's spiritual, you know, you've got the different chakra points. And I think it's the root chakra that can be the very sexual energy. But I think especially with master slavery, you're talking about the other chakra points as well. Your heart center, for instance, for me, is one that opens up in connection with a master. Well, wow. I will share with you a moment where a coach played therapist with me, played therapist. He took out his notebook. And he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to do this. And I crawled over to him and I put my pineal gland, the top of my forehead, into his crotch, his clothed crotch, the pineal chakra and 
the root chakra connecting mm. from the master to the submissive. It was an enactment of the kind of thing you're talking about. I imagine it's a deep connection of energy when you did that. Yes, yes. You know, there's something deeply aspirational about that. We don't know, but there is something extremely powerful about that kind of coming together. Okay, so coming back to your kind of story, so you're kind of like in this white picket. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then you decide to come out. Yes. Did you decide to then go into the master slave space then, or did it take a little longer? It took longer. I will just say that I'm fond of this metaphor of, you know, Moses in the Sinai wandering back and forth for 40 years until he crosses the River Jordan and gets into the Promised Land. Well, it wasn't 40 years, but there was a period after I came out the second time where I was quite lost. I was so demoralized at what I had done to myself. And, you know, when I came out of that, I did meet someone. I met a friend who said, look, you're a dom in your life, and you're clearly a submissive sexually, and my wish for you is that you pursue this submissive side of yourself and let it live. And so he gave me permission. And I actually think the giving of permission is a huge motif or theme in my whole story. Like who is saying, I can't do this, or this cannot be done, or you cannot do this. I gave myself permission and I started in a more systematic way to seek out dominant partners. Now, there still were further stages to go where I met a coach who said, look, for you, for you, this is going to be an inside job. First, you are going to fully accept who you are. And once you have done that, guess what? Then you will acquire the gear. Then you will go to the events. Then you will meet the people that you want to meet. And that's kind of what happened. But even saying, I need to be with someone who's going to accelerate the journey, that was a step in itself. That's fascinating. Like the philosophy of my own coaching is often getting someone to understand who they are so that they can then find the master or slave that they need. So I find yes. it fascinating that it was a similar thing for you and your coach. It's like you need to know who you are so you can then take this step forward. So, you know, I have on my phone a day counter, which can count the number of days you've been doing something or not doing something. Just last year, I mean, literally almost 365 days ago, I had this light bulb moment. I am a faggot. I am a faggot. I am the very thing I recoiled from being my entire life. And I love it. And guess what? All this energy that was going into constructing this pseudo identity to hide my faggotry could now be put into something else. I don't know if you can see it here, but you know, I have this impressive bookshelf with impressive titles because I'm a serious person. I'm not a faggot. You know, <laughs> I may be gay, but I'm not a faggot, but I am a faggot. So, and I have a reappropriated that term. Very liberating. So what made you choose that word in particular compared to let's say slave or submissive or? Well, because it was probably the most charged word. Okay. Right? Because frankly, a lot of trauma around that word. That was the epithet that was used, you know, along with pussy to bully me and humiliate me and 
diminish me. And I've mentioned to you that the whole notion of, not the notion, the reality of masculinity and the ideals of masculinity have always been very important to me. So here I am picking this word that has the double charge, trauma and feminine association. Wow. Okay. And to me, sub and slave are like, okay, yeah, sure. Of course that goes through it too. So as part of this kind of process that every day you were embracing the word faggot, you were also discharging the negative attributes you put on it, or were you accepting something? The way I've described it, there's a reversal that has taken place. I talked to you about keeping this whole dimension, everything we're talking about, on the periphery of my life or in the subterranean sub-basement. So now I realize, guess what? This is central. And guess what? All your book knowledge and all of this, it's useful, but that's really on the periphery. So there's been a reversal. I don't have to every single day say, I am a faggot or I am a slave. You know, once you like break the door open, a lot of energy is going to just start flowing. You know, you're going to stop having the inner wherewithal to maintain the facade. And what is the facade? The facade may not even be apparent to other people. It sure was apparent to me. I have this sort of image of you kind of suddenly having your arms open and starting to go, okay, come in from the edges. Yes, exactly so. Yes, come in from the edges. And when you're doing that, you know, lots of things can happen that you can't even imagine before you do that. I'm very fond of this idea like, oh, what's your life? What's your ideal life going to be like in five years? And, you know, I think it's going to be an improved version of the black and white movie that I'm living. But actually, it's going to be a color movie. It's going to have music. It's going to have things I hadn't even thought were possible in it. And that's kind of what's happened, you know, going through these wormhole events, meeting these extraordinary people along the way who taught me lessons they didn't even know they were teaching me. So let's come back to your coming out as a slave. Yeah. So you're kind of 66. Someone's given you permission to embrace this part of yourself. What were the other things that meant it was at this point you decided to make this? Yes. Great question. I think if there were 10 words to take away from this entire conversation, it's about the power of commitment. Commitment. All right. So I was not committed. I was dancing. I always had exit ramps. I was half in, I was half out. And, you know, like many of us, you have a certain kind of bad experience that's a wake-up call. For me, that happened a year ago with a guy who was married to a man, but in the closet, playing at being a dom, lying about everything else in his life. And I got burned. And I thought, this is it. No more of this shit. I'm not going to be with any more newbies. I'm not going to be with more wannabes. I'm not going to be with people who are half in, half out, like I have been. And I am putting my foot on the throttle, and I am going for this, right? So I'm 65, and there's plenty of reasons not to do it. Who are you going to find at age 65? You know, all that shit. You know what? I'm doing it. It's really interesting because I link this back to authenticity as well. It's like, who am I truly? Mm -hmm. And then who should I truly be with? It It really sounds like at this point you were able to go, this is who I really am. Yes, it was. And I have a certain earthly portion here 
you know, when you get to be my age, you're like, you know, I don't have an unlimited number of years. And so you are conscious, like you got to see this through to the end, whatever the end means. So that's what I started doing. Yes. And it takes time and it takes attention and it takes money and all the things that anything else in life takes. But the main thing it takes is the inner decision. That's the main thing. And the inner decision for you, what was that moment? Do you remember that moment or time where you're like, yes, this is when I'm going to do it? It was about a year ago. And it was in the wake of that painful episode with the pseudodom. And it was, this is who I am. And it was also putting aside all the little dwarves who sit on my shoulders, whispering things in my ears, <laughs> you know, like, who are you going to find? You've missed your window and all this kind of stuff. I had a friend who, on a totally different subject, said, what I am trying to do is impossible and I don't give a fuck. So that's my attitude. I don't give a fuck what anybody says about the odds, the this, the that, all the reasons not to, I do not give a fuck. And I'm happy to be here and share that approach has paid off for me. This actually really reminds me of a conversation that I had with a friend, um, sort of being, I think, in 2013. And in 2012, I'd been traumatized by a master and I was still really struggling. And he suddenly sat me down in Old Compton's in London during the Nether Social and told me a bit of his story. And I hope at some point he'll let me to share this story with other people because it was extraordinary. But I always remember at the end, he went, Phil, you've got two people sitting on your shoulder, the angel and then the devil. And sometimes you need to listen to the devil a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That is very good. That is very good. Okay. So as you were making this decision to... yeah. I don't give a fuck, I'm going to do it. Uh -huh. Were there any fears or concerns that were coming up for you at that point? Sure. First of all, you know, my age, right? That was a concern. And, you know, very few people would want me and et cetera, et cetera. That was one. I have a friend, you know, one of these very funny, sardonic, gay wits who said, you know, coming out of middle age, and I'm way older than middle age, so is like being Marie Antoinette, waiting for the guillotine to come down to realize you're the queen of France. I don't know. That was funny to me. Um, that was one thing. And I guess that was really the main issue. I will say that as I have approached each stage of physical pain as part of the journey, that has been a little scary to me at each juncture. And those are the two main ones I can talk about. By in pain, do you mean like, you know, something like flogging or? Yes. Yes. Being bullwhipped and, you know, all of the more hardcore impact play scenes. And I mentioned coming through the wormhole, I was at an event and I was being flogged on the St. Andrew's Cross and I was steel hard erect. And the Dom kept asking me, how many times have you done this? And I kept saying, well, I mean, not in a, like a sum, but not in a, in a very organized way. And he kept asking me. And then finally, when the session is over, he goes, you know, you're a pain pig and not a beginner. <laughs> Which was, I was, whoa, <laughs> how's that for having yourself revealed to yourself? <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, you went from this fear of pain to being labelled a pain pig. A pain pig. And the did that feel to suddenly have that? Well, it felt okay. So you know, once you commit, like all sorts of doors open. So after the flog session, in that very moment, I turned to offer him a blowjob, and he said, "No, I don't really want that." My form of sex is inflicting pain. And I was, well, maybe my form of sex is receiving pain. Wow, (laughs) what a concept. So then I went into my next event with a dog tag that was flawed boy, you know, and I found out that I had less tolerance than I thought I did. But you don't get anywhere unless you are willing to learn those lessons and take those chances. Doors are opening all the time, all around all of us, all the time. And part of it is, do I recognize a door is opening, A, and B, am I willing to go through it? You know, that's very spiritual. (laughs) Talking about, let's say, ritual and spiritual, did you find that with the pain? Did you find that this was giving you a, a transformational experience? I don't know that I have had that yet. I can't say I've had it through impact play. I see impact play as a vehicle and to something. I think actually that's in your question. When I've had the transcendent moments, it's been these eye connections and the revelation of the other, you know, of the hidden self to me and the hidden self in me to the other. Thank you. So, You've kind of decided now I'm going to do my authentic self. What were your first steps? So I started buying gear more systematically, and I stopped throwing it out whenever I would would have one of my fits of stay away from this. All right. Number one. Number two, I decided to go to my first big leather event. Number three. I took the advice of my coach and got off the wannabe apps where more generalist apps Mm -hmm. and started focusing on the ones where it was a higher likelihood of meeting the kind of man I wanted. And then I was very clear, you know, I would make lists. Here are the attributes. Actually, I made a list, 58 attributes across six dimensions you know, actually, the master I met lined up with something like 54 of them. So, hello. <laughs> you know, so uh, talk about kismet. Then donning the gear, letting myself be seen by my tribe, signifying to my tribe, I am one of you. And there's a kind of cumulative effect with that. You show up at these events, you're doing your part, you're in Rome doing as the Romans do, and people take you seriously in a new way. And that is a springboard to something else. I've been to events which are invitation only, and had I not gone to earlier events, there's no way I would have been invited, right? So that's kind of how it happened. And you know, it's like we're going to remove the dam upstream of the river and we're going to let the river take its natural course. So now the river is taking its natural course. It's flowing the way it needs to flow. So I'm going to different events. I'm meeting different people. I'm having experiences and, you know, finding out bit by bit by bit, oh, I like this. Oh, I don't like this. Or I need to learn more about this. Or this is the kind of person I want. Or this is not what I want. 
you know, I've tried to make people be Dobbs. <laughs> it does not work. <laughs> I'm so here you, to testify. You, you were dumbing the Doms. <laughs> I was dumbing the Doms, pretending not to dumb the Doms. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not going to let you know that I'm dumbing you, but you are going to behave this way. <laughs> <you know? laughs> it doesn't work, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. What is interesting is a natural dom would realize you're doing that and probably slap your face. Well, that would be okay. Slapping my face would be okay. You know, you know, I actually want someone who calls me out on that kind of shit and doesn't let me run the show, which is my natural instinct. So during this process now, you're going with the flow. You're starting to understand all these things about yourself. So how did you start to understand masculinity? with this new knowledge? Well, I will say that, you know, the period we've just been talking about is really a year, very compressed. I have been in pursuit and quite serious about masculine ideals and studying what it meant to be a man and practicing what it meant to be a man for almost 20 years before that through various spiritual paths. And I thought, oh, well, you know, it means going hunting. It means riding a horse. It means doing construction work. It means having the company of other men in an erotic, non-sexual context and building things together like buildings. Well, there were ideals and it was a powerful thing to me. I guess what happened in the last year is realizing that faggot and that are not incompatible. They can go right together. And was it just deciding that they can go them together? I once read that the Southwestern American Indians, in their diet, understood that corn and beans and maize unlocked the chemical elements in each other. There was enzymes in each of those foods that unlocked the others. And so you have these experiences and they're unlocking things in you. I had an experience with a very famous Berlin-based dom and runner of a global program to train people as erotic acolytes. And he said to me, you know, power resides in the feminine. What? What? Okay, there's something about the masculine and the feminine coming together that is where the power gets generated and released. But, you know, it was all theoretical to me. I don't know. I don't even know that I have a talked about this moment and the F word, but I don't even know that it was exactly, okay, this is where I am now. I get off on the contradiction that many people take me for a top and a dom or a straight man. I get off on it. And then when I tell them, no, actually, hello, <laughs> and they're surprised. I think it's really interesting that you kind of talk about the feminine here. This has been some of my own work I've been doing is like, we have the sacred masculine and the sacred feminine. Hello, exactly. And I think the most healthy master-slave relationships is what brings both in. Because the sacred feminine, it can be things around care and safety, looking after, caring for the land. But what does this allow for vulnerability to happen? Submission comes through vulnerability, not through obedience. Yes, it does. Transparency, opening up. Yes, vulnerability. I would agree with you. And by the way, you know, one of the things I learned along the way in this compressed year were 
there are many paths to getting here, and there are many, many models of master-slave relationship to choose from. And I had to work my way through porn tropes which said, well, you know, asking a master to love a slave is like asking a man to love his toaster or asking a man to love his horse or his watch. You know, there is that kind of mentality out there. So I happen to be in a relationship where I declare my love for my master in words every single day, and he does for me every single day. And there's no question of who is who in this relationship, but it's a loving caring, mutually supportive, even if structured and hierarchic relationship. Thank you. Tell us about how you met your master then. Well, I like to joke about this. I met my master at the well-known leather bar in New York at one in the morning on a Thursday night. And I was immediately attracted to him. And within about 30 seconds, we were over in a dark corner doing the things you do in dark corners. And uh, I registered who he was, but I didn't get his name. And in fact, in my journal, four or five days later, I met this guy. This is his name. This is where he lives. And then I let it go. And then we reconnected on an app three weeks later. And then he said, oh, are you the guy? Were you at such and such a place on this night? I said, yeah, that was me. Were you the guy in the corner? Yeah, that was me. And then, boom it happened. So within a couple of weeks after that, things moved very quickly. I mean, as he has said to me many times, I have been looking for you for a long time. And as I have said to him, I have been looking for you for a long time. So when you meet that person, there is an element of like, wow, mystery and kismet about it. And it was very decisive. I went to visit him for three days. He claimed me. Twelve days later, we drew up a contract, which we signed. Seven days after that, he put a collar on me. Three weeks after that, he caged me in chastity. More recently, he's whored me out. More recently after that, he's had me shave my head and my crotch. In eight days, we're going to do sounding for the first time. So things have moved with him driving. And he also says, part of my method, because he acknowledges a method, is that love and care are foundational to the mix. Thank you. So what are your biggest learnings over, I want to say the year or the decades? You can choose the time that works best. Well, this is so commonplace, but it's also so true. It's be yourself, you know, you have to be yourself. That's one. The other is commit. That's the main one. Commit. Make a decision and go with it. And it really doesn't matter what angle your next footstep is taken at. What matters is that you take the step and then you take the next step and so on. I mean, I'm going to quote Goethe. Did you expect this on a master-slave interview? (laughs) Where he says, when a man commits, providence moves with him. That's right. That's exactly what happens. (laughs) Just want to write that down. Yes. Let's see. What's the exact quote? The exact line is, the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that never would otherwise have occurred, and so on. Could you email that to me? I will. You got it. 100%. Yes. So what is next for you? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, my master is the master. I'm not sort of biding my time until I find a trophy master. (laughs) (laughs) He is the trophy master. So we will continue to deepen our relationship. I am deeply driven by this promise of transformation. And he has said, my job is to make you a better slave and to make you a better man. So I hope to see, I expect to see flowering in other areas of your life. Like I happen to be a a writer. So creative energy and the freeing of energy to go into creativity is hugely important to me. It is happening, by the way. It's happening. And in terms of the specific acts and, you know, I mean, I have an idea about what I would like to try and do. That to me is, in a way, the 10% of the iceberg that's above the waterline, right? It's what's below. It's the connection that is very deep. And in our day and age, everybody uses the word journey. It's a journey. It's a journey. It's a journey. But it really is a journey with an unknown destination. All right, I'm at staging camp six on the ascent up Everest. <laughs> you know, first we'll establish this camp, we'll get the Sherpas, we'll move up the side, the side of the mountain, then we'll establish base camp eight, and then we'll be in striking distance of the summit. It's kind of like that. I mean, you have to have a capacity to be in this lifestyle. You know, on the one hand, it's a lot about rules and structure, but on the other hand, it's a lot about risk and openness and taking chances. You have to be willing to see what happens. So we're coming to the end of the episode now. Is there anything right. else you'd like to say? Thank you so much. You've really drawn out stuff on bat frequencies that I may have thought, but didn't quite have the words to say. So, Sir Charles, thank you so much for this story. Thank you so much for your story, for speaking so openly about your life. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. appreciate it. If you'd like to be interviewed by me or know someone who would, you can get in touch with me at the email contact at masterslavelifestyle.com. You can now support the podcast, website, and Masterslave community through Patreon membership, receive benefits such as early access to the podcast, exclusive video workshops, and more, along with my thanks for supporting me. There is now a free download to help you take the next steps in the Master Slave lifestyle, suitable for both beginners and those who want a full-time relationship. Check out the show notes for more information on both. And if you're interested in finding out more on the 24-7 Total Power Exchange lifestyle, go to the website at masterslavelifestyle.com for more information. Thank you all for listening.